All right, I'm turning this morning to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4, and we're just going to be reading one verse this morning. Uh, But we will have much to say about this one verse. Ephesians chapter number 4, beginning there in verse 25. And as you're turning there, our subject for today is put away lying. Put away lying. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Paul, in this brief verse, declares really that there is no greater motive to living a holy life than a proper understanding of the truth. This verse is not just about the act of lying, but it's a recognition of the truth. We could put our emphasis on putting away lying, which we will to an extent, but we have no frame of reference for what a lie is if we do not know the truth. The truth is what tells us something is untruthful. We don't use the lie to determine truth. It is truth that determines the lie. Uh, We live in a world that has that backwards. We live in a world that is using lies to try to establish truth. And Paul states that really the truth must be applied. When he says putting away lying, he's not saying have an idea of what it should look like. He's actually saying that we should put away the act of lying because our motive is truth. So this truth is not something we just have a theoretical idea of what a lie is or what the truth is. Truth is what makes the difference between Christianity and a worldview. The only reason I know I have a biblical view instead of a worldview is because I know the truth. We hear that word thrown around a lot in Christian circles today about having a biblical worldview. I would suggest to you there's the worldview and then there's what's biblical. Now, you, we are supposed to live in this world and we're supposed to live according to biblical truths and that should shape our worldview. What we believe about the world, what we believe about everything around us should be shaped by the Bible. But the world itself has its own view. And the world's view tends to lean towards the side of that which is untruthful. I don't have to tell you folks this, but not everything you hear is truth. Not everything you read is truth. Not everything you say is truth. We can convince ourselves that we're actually speaking truth, but we're actually speaking a lie. So putting away lying is not as easy as it may seem. Paul is not just simply saying, don't tell a lie. He's actually saying the only way we can tell the truth is to know the truth. And the only way we can put away lying is to know what the truth is. I know that sounds like a lot of repetition, and it is. So Paul is asking us to consider this question. Is there anything as fundamental to the Christian life as God's character of truth? In our Bible study this morning, we looked at the verse that told us that God cannot lie. On that phrase, on that truth, God cannot lie, really the entirety of Christianity pivots on that one truth. 
We can talk about God's attributes of holiness. We can talk about God's attributes of love. We can talk about all those things. But if God's a liar, everything else is for naught. So there is this emphasis on putting away lying. Multiple verses throughout Scripture. We're going to look at a lot of verses this morning, so I just want you to be ready for that. If you don't get to turn to all of them, just make a reference of them. But multiple verses throughout Scripture talk about God's incapability of lying. God's character, and I want you to kind of get this in your mind, God's character is such that He cannot even think about a lie. He can't think about telling a lie. So we have this assurance that if God's character tells us he's incapable of lying and he's telling us to put away something that he's not, then that gives us a great assurance that we can follow him. We can be assured when we read the word of God that we're reading the truth. I don't have to read the word of God and wonder, is this a lie? And I'm going to tell you quite frankly today, this is the only book I can trust holy from cover to cover. I don't care who the writer is. I don't care who the author is. I don't care who the producer is. The only book I 100% trust is the Word of God. You say that good man, a good woman wrote that book. That's fine, but they still don't always tell the truth. Now, we try to put it in that way. We go back to the Ten Commandments and talk about do not bear false witness or don't, don't false, falsely testify against your neighbor. Don't tell a lie. We, we get all that understanding. But understand that he's basing this upon we have to have a reason to trust God before we'll even consider putting away lying. So the question is today, do I trust the truth of God? One of the first references I want us to turn to is in the book of Titus, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. There's, there's a very direct, uh, very direct truth about this. Titus 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth. Now notice the connection here, which is after godliness. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our Savior, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Paul declares that the truth is from a God who cannot lie. So because God cannot lie, we can believe everything that he says. So when we tell a lie of any sort, okay, of any sort, before we even go down the path of what lying is, a lie of any sort is a direct assault against God's character. So when I lie, even in the smallest manner, I'm assaulting God's character. Now, I'm not harming God in a a sense, but I'm assaulting his character. In other words, if I tell someone something about God that's not true, I'm assaulting God's character. If I claim God is something that he's not really, if I claim God does this and God does that, but he doesn't really do that, I'm telling a lie about God and I'm assaulting God's character. Because God doesn't do that which he says he doesn't. So lying not only is an assault against God's character, but lying is undermining. To undermine is to create mistrust. It demolishes an opportunity for Christian bonding and fellowship. There's nothing that will destroy a church quicker than a lie. 
And I've seen it many, many times. A single lie, a pattern of lying, it undermines that church. It undermines it in so many ways because people begin to mistrust one another and that fellowship begins to be broken. In Proverbs chapter number 6, verses 16 through 19, Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, as we've just completed reading through the entire book of Proverbs, but Proverbs 6, verse 16, verse 19, These things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. The reality here, in those seven abominations the Lord hates, he mentions things related to a lie twice. Speaking lies does what? It sows discord. It creates a breaking in the fellowship, especially among brethren. So Paul really, in the context of our study of Ephesians, is now dealing with how important it is in the life of a believer and why the pursuit of truth will lead us to holiness that should be marked by putting away lying. Now, if you go back to your text and you look at Ephesians 4, just glance quickly with me through the remainder of that chapter. We're not going to read all these verses, but really verse 25 through the end of the chapter gets into the practical application of doctrine. He's going to deal with lying, we're going to be dealing with anger. We're going to be dealing with stealing. We're going to be dealing with corrupt communications. We're going to be dealing with grieving the Holy Spirit, bitterness, clamor, malice, forgiveness, all of the really easy stuff to do as a Christian. That's where we're, that's where we're headed into. Remember, I told you, we can all learn doctrine, but if we can't apply our doctrine in a practical, Christ-like way, our doctrine is for naught. That's what Paul's introducing. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit leads Paul to write about is lying. Order matters in Scripture. The way the things are laid out in Scripture, it's not random. It's not just because Paul happened to be thinking about that, but that's what, that's what God said. This is where I'm putting the emphasis on before he gives any other thing. He says, you've got to put away lying. So in these remaining verses, Paul's commending these separate, certain, well, we'll refer to them. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the point I don't like using the word Christian in a sense the way we use it because it, everybody claims that. But these are believers' virtues. Okay? And first of all, in order to live any of these virtues, there must be truth. There must be truthfulness in how we live these Christian-believing virtues. What Paul does by establishing the truth as the first thing, he's going to condemn anything that's deceitful and any form of hypocrisy. Truly, hypocrisy is a lie. To be something you're not is a lie. Deceit is a lie. You know, deceit, that which is deceptive is that which is defined as being the closest to the truth, yet it's not truth. It sounds like truth. It looks like truth. Deception's really difficult to determine. But in these verses, Paul's going to remind us of those great truths. I pointed us to this this morning in the Bible study. Let's go ahead and go to 1 John 2. And I want to read portions of this. And I know it's a bit lengthy, so we're going to kind of touch on parts of these verses. Because this really establishes these principles of truth. 1 John 2, 
John is writing about advocacy, to have an advocate with the Father, to have one who is there with you or for, before you. He says, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin with, and any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Let me just stop there. Notice what he says. He says, if there's a claim by a believer or a person that says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, John says that man or that person is a liar. Now, why does that man lie? Because the truth is not in him. The lying is connected to that. Again, we have to know the truth in order to put away the lie. Verse 5, but whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had heard from the beginning. I had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whether he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now we read verses 18 through 23 when we talked about those who've gone out. They went out, and verse 22 says, Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So Paul, when he speaks of lying, is not just talking about the act of telling a tale. He's talking about even what you proclaim about Christ. A denier of Christ is a liar. Plain and simple. A person who denies him, he says, is not only a liar, he is anti-Christ. Now, he doesn't say he is the Antichrist. Remember, we read in Bible study this morning, there are many Antichrists that he denies the Father and the Son. So what is Paul in the passage in Ephesians 4 driving home? He's closing this end of this chapter with these responsibilities to abstain from lying, from anger, from stealing, from corrupt communication, from bitterness of spirit, from malice, from revenge, and to exercise brotherly kindness and mutual forgiveness. 
All of these things begin with putting away lying. What is a lie? A lie is quite simply defined by it is a voluntary disagreement of the mind and speech with a design or an intent to deceive. A true lie is intentional. Now you say, what do you mean a true lie? Isn't a lie a lie? There are times when people lie unknowingly. Now Paul doesn't have in mind the unknowing lie as much as he has in mind knowingly and willfully lying. What's an unknown lie? We hear something, we don't verify it, we just speak it and we assume that it's true. We didn't intend to deceive anybody with it. We just spoke it because we believed it to be true, but we didn't knowingly say, I'm telling you this lie because I want you to stumble. Does that make sense? That's, that's, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about putting away one of the deeds of the old man. One of the deeds is that would be common in an unregenerate person to tell lie after lie after lie after lie. I expect to be lied to. Okay, you, you, folks, you really ought to approach life and you say, that's a horrible way to live. That's, such, that's so distrustful. Listen, the world is founded upon many, many lies. Okay? You have to show me, first of all, that you actually have the truth. If you have the truth before I speak it, I want to be sure that that's actually true instead of just simply saying, well, I think it might be. That's why Paul understands that there's a connection between putting away that which is a lie, and in order to do that, you've got to have the truth. So a man may speak what is false. It is possible to speak false and yet not be declared a liar if he doesn't know it to be so. So how do we put away that type of a lie? Lying is putting away by only speaking what we know to be true. Folks, there's a lot of things we probably wouldn't say if we actually confirmed it and verified it before we actually said it. So much is an assumption. So much of what we say is because someone told me or I heard it or I'm assuming, maybe we should guard our mouths and guard our minds by simply saying, unless I can confirm this, maybe I ought not say anything. Some of the best things we do is not even speaking because I don't even want to unknowingly tell a lie if I'm truly concerned about the truth. I would submit to you, I, I challenge you, Look into just what you see on a day-to-day basis and find out how much of it actually is true. I firmly believe you hear more lies in a day than you hear truth. But there's an assumption that we're hearing the truth, so we, we speak it just as if it's truth. In Proverbs 8, verses 6 through 9, the Bible says, Hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. Now, what does is, what's the, what is the writer Solomon talk about uh, Proverbs there? He's saying, the opening of my lips shall be right things. I'm only going to speak that which is right. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. There really is this idea that the proverb writer there is indicating that I'm only going to speak that which I know to be the truth. So primarily, Paul doesn't have putting away that so much as he does other types of lying. What about the helpful lie? 
Have you ever been lied to that someone says, I'm going to lie to you because this is for your benefit? That's the most popular lie there is. I'm just going to lie to you because it's going to benefit you. It's called the helpful lie. I was just being helpful. It's told because I have the idea that I'm being of service to someone. If I lie to them, if I don't tell them the whole truth, then it's just for their well-being. It's for their good. That helpful lie is not lawful. That helpful lie is something that should be one of the lies that should be put away. Well, someone says, but if I lie, something good comes of it. A man tells a lie to serve himself. A man lies to maybe to, to, to try to be a help to someone, but lying is never told to us as being a means in which we point people to Christ. We're not told in Scripture, hey, tell a lie to make them for their benefit. There are people out there that would say, I'd much rather you lie to me than actually give me the truth because the truth actually hurts worse. Listen, you're much better off to receive a, the truth that hurts than a helpful lie. Helpful lies are not going to benefit you at all. I love what Paul said. What Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven thirty one: 31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. Lying for God is not of God. Another type of lie, what about the idle words in which we speak? What about the habit of lying that becomes our normal everyday conversation? What about the lie that's just, it's not directly hurtful, it doesn't really injure anyone, but yet it's still false. But then you have those who design to deceive you. One of the hardest things for us to be, understand as believers is there is an intentional deception spiritually that's going on all around you. There's an intent to deceive you and to trick you and to convince you that there's something else. There's some greater doctrine out there. There's something that you're missing. There are religious lies. There are religious liars. There are those who do not sincerely worship God. Their practice is not according to their profession. They live like they're holy. They live like they're righteous. They live like they have the truth. But yet, Jesus identified people throughout his ministry who those people were. And they were the Pharisees. Religious deception that I can judge that by its outward appearance. Sometimes your outward appearance is screaming a lie. We clean ourselves up. We pretend to be something that we're not. We act like we don't have that struggle with sin. We, 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 someone asks us about it. They confront us about our own sin life and we lie to them about it. But there's, there's this idea of putting on this pharisaical front that's just as deceptive as anything else. I, I, have it, I have it all spiritually together. I am, I am the picture of what righteousness should be. One of the accounts, there's many of them, but Matthew 12 is one that stood out to me particularly about how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees. In Matthew 12, verse 31, he says, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. 
And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers. You know, it's interesting. There's a, there's a, a method of Christianity today. Say, Jesus never used harsh words. That's, that's hate speech. Don't, you shouldn't call people a viper. That's not nice. Jesus just simply called it exactly what he was seeing. He uses the terminology, a generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasures bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word, Every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Jesus completely undoes all of their outward appearance, and he says, listen, it's, it's your words, your idle words. Idle words are words that were being spoken, not just silly words, but words that were being spoken and were not taken seriously as to the effect of what those words were. So we have these lying as the fruit of our unrighteousness. But then there are others who are guilty of doctrinal lies, like we read in 1 John 2. Those of the Antichrist, those of his followers, those who have been given over to believe a lie, those who deny the deity of Christ, those that deny the incarnation of Christ, those that deny him as Messiah, those who deny his work, his office, his grace, his righteousness, the sacrifice of Christ, those who profess themselves to be Christians, but they're really not. Where does that come from? It springs out of a corrupt heart. It springs out of a heart that does not know Christ. The heart brings forth corruption because it is corrupt. It brings forth the lust of the heart. It brings forth the sins of covetousness, of malice. And Jesus himself identified that the lying itself is a tool of the devil. In John 8, he, Jesus declares who the devil really is. Again, we've moved away in our society today that there's even a, a false belief in Christian circles that the devil's not even real. The devil's a figment of everyone's imagination. There's no hell. There's no devil. And yet Jesus identifies, puts his finger right on who the devil is. John 8, 44. Ye are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode, here it is, abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Everything the devil says is a lie. Everything he speaks is a lie. Why? Because there's no truth in him. A person cannot speak truth who does not have the truth within them. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe not. Now, Jesus is speaking directly to the people he's calling the children of the devil. Again, I thought Jesus didn't use harsh language. 
I thought Jesus was all about love and he just simply ignored sin and just went from town to town trying to bless everyone and heal them. No, he says, he's talking about the devil, but he's talking to people standing there and he says, you are of your father, the devil. You're the devil's children. How do you know the devil's children? Because they're marked by lies. Folks, I can't believe how many Christians are trying to squeeze in someone who doesn't know anything about God and trying to squeeze it into the mold of Christianity and claiming this is, this is the closest thing to Christ we're going to get, so it's okay, let's just pull that in. A lie is a lie. And especially when we deal with doctrine, he says, I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you're not of God. Jesus puts it, he put it right there where it was. He said, if you don't believe and you don't do, it's because you don't believe me. So lying is a tool of the devil. We read about lying spirits. We read about lying in the hearts and mouths of men. Lying is to be put away, especially by those who profess to be of the faith who really aren't. What are the effects of lying? Again, we're going to get to the context of what Paul was talking about here. What are the effects of lying? Lying is brought disgrace. It brings mistrust. Discredits a person sometimes for the rest of their earthly lives. It's brought judgment upon nations. We somehow forget that a nation thinks it can lie to God for, forever without any repercussions. Entire nations have been brought down because of lies. It's been the cause and is the cause of diseases. It's the cause of death. And Jesus himself and the word actually declares that there is the second death awaits those who reside in the realm of lying. Lying is a sin that is, could be referred to as exceedingly sinful. Why? Because it's a breach of God's law, yes. But again, it's against the very character of God. Lies will destroy a civil society. You, you watch, again, I'm not going to get political this morning, but you watch what happens in our nation. You're watching what lies do. And I don't care what side of the spectrum you're on. This isn't about your side, my side. I'm just telling you it's the result of what lies do in a society. And it's not about your version of the truth and my version of the truth. It's about what is truth. We have, these, we have Christian circles that decide, well, there's my Christian truth and then there's my political truth or my truth to my, that, my private life and my public life and how I'm to respond to this, I'm to respond to that. Your truth is all supposed to be based on the Word of God. So if you want to know what truth is, if your truth that you're hearing doesn't line up with Scripture, you know you're being lied to and you know you're propagating the lie. Well, the Bible doesn't talk about day, things that are happening today. Then you've never read the whole thing. The Bible is relevant about every single topic you're dealing with. Everything, everything that's on that television and on your computer and on your phone, the Bible has something to say about it. The problem is we just don't want to take the truth because the truth doesn't play nice with the lie. See, you're, you'll be labeled as being the narrow-minded, bigoted, prejudiced one because you're standing on the truth. I'm not talking about all the secondary issues. I'm talking about the standard of truth that should be guiding us as believers. 
Because I'm telling you, every one of us in this room is guilty of perpetrating or carrying on a lie of some sort, even if it's unknowing. We all do it. Somebody tells us something, we take it as gospel truth, and we tell everybody else about it, we say, this is the way it is. We have no idea if that's the way it is. We just believe it because someone told us. So God says that this is not to be done, that we're to put away lying and all things that are not true. What does the Bible say about judgment towards those who do lie? Proverbs 19, again, there's another passage from Proverbs. Often people say Proverbs isn't very doctrinal and it doesn't talk about these things, and it really does. Proverbs 19, verse number one, better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Also that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. And that he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Wealth maketh many friends, but the poor is separated from his neighbor. A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. (laughs) Someone ought to park right there and preach a whole message on verse number six. (laughs) The favor of a prince. Boy. All the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursueth them with words, yet they are wanting to him. He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He that keepeth understanding shall find good. A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall perish. Those are, those are judgment passages. Those are, not, those are not to be taken lightly. One of the last verses and chapters in the Bible, Revelation 21. Verses 1 through 8. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. And I saw a new heaven, a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. I have no idea. I... Theologically, expositionally, I've never been able to figure out why that little word all is in front of liars. He doesn't say all murderers, all whoremongers, all sorcerers, all idolaters, but he does say and all liars. And it may be just a continuation of the phrase, which is what I think it is. Shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, of course, we know he's not talking about someone who just tells a lie, because if that's the case, then we're all going to burn in fire and brimstone, because we've all been guilty of a lie. We've probably all been guilty of a lie this week, sadly. We may have been guilty of a lie in some shape or form even today. 
So he's not talking about any of this ever told a lie, but this is that manner of life. This is that pattern of life. And I think, and also the liar references back to those who were deniers of Christ. So we can't lose out on that side. Denying Christ, to deny the truth, to believe the lie. So why did Paul bring all of this to the church at Ephesus? Lying like every other society was very common in the unbelievers who make up the part made up the church at Ephesus, Jews and Gentiles alike. Lying was very common. Most likely the Ephesians, even in their unconverted state, they believed and it was okay to lie whenever the situation merited it. In other words, if it's for the good of someone, it's always okay to tell a lie. You who are parents have probably had to deal with that at some point in life, and if you haven't, you will, where your children will be faced with the reality of when is it okay to lie? And I hope you know the answer to give them. There are situations and circumstances in life, and that is not as easy of a question to answer as you think. Because we begin to start thinking about when is it okay to lie? It's a real challenge to think. But these unconverted people thought it was lawful. There's a difference between understanding what's lawful and what's not. They were guilty of lying when it was beneficial. Lying for something that would affirm. Lying because they believed lying was better than the truth. So Paul brings not only putting away lying into focus, but then he directs as to who that truth is supposed to be directed to. Notice what he says there in the second half of that verse. He says, speak, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Who is our neighbor? It's not the person that lives in the house next to you. They are part of it. But that your neighbor is with respect to every, every person you come in contact with. Whether it's in civil matters, whether it's in religious affairs, whether it's in common conversation between two neighbors standing across a fence line. We've somehow decided we, it's okay to lie in civil matters. It's okay to lie in government matters. It's okay to lie in certain spiritual matters. And Christians are just as guilty of this as anyone else. It's okay for me to take my version of the truth. And even if I have to lie against a government official, or I got to lie against a church official, I got to lie. It's okay because it's beneficial. So we are to be truthful in our common conversation. There's so much practicality here. You should be truthful with every coworker you work with. You should be truthful with every individual in your home, every person you go to school with. You should be truthful with them. Any business transaction that you take place with someone, it should be truthful. You try to sell something that's not right, you try to sell something that's broken and you say that it is, you're lying about it. Be truthful. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Be honest about it. See, this is practical stuff. This is, this is like real life foot on the pavement stuff. This is the stuff that your kids and your grandkids, these are the challenges. They're not going to be having as many conversations about sanctification with other people as they are about doing the right thing and doing truth in front of others. Speaking the truth. How are we supposed to speak the truth? Ephesians, Ephesians 4.15 says we speak the truth in love. The most loving thing I can do towards someone else is to speak the truth and to do it in love. Most people don't think they have a problem with lying. 
We, pride is the one that gets all the bashing because we all say we have a problem with pride. Lying is a close second. When we embellish something, when we exaggerate something, we're telling a lie about it. So we always just think about telling the straight out lie when mom or dad says, did you do that? And you say, no, and you did. Lying has so much more to do with just speaking that lie. So how did Paul say we're supposed to live out the truth? Well, he speaks about that in one of the passages is in Romans 13. There's a whole section in Romans 13, beginning in verse number 8 through 14, about how to love one another. You'll know that, a, that a Romans 13 verses 1 through 6 deals with uh, higher powers of all sorts that are sold to be subject unto the higher powers. And we are supposed to, how we view rulers, how we view those who are, who are in leadership, and it's the one that gets all the attention. That's the one that wants to stir the controversy with everybody is those first seven verses of Romans 13 about what our responsibility is to our government and people scream and yell and argue about that, but then they ignore verses 8 through 14. They think Romans 13 is just verses 1 through 7. So here's, here's the rest of it. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Again, verse 13, most Christians don't struggle with rioting and drunkenness, chambering and wantonness maybe, but look at the last one, strife and envying. I think that probably hits home to most of us. We, have, we probably have issues with a little bit of strife, a little bit of envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So Paul shows us how all of this truth of putting away lying ought to affect how we live truth with those who are our neighbor. Paul is exhorting them there at the church at Ephesus, now that you are converted to Christianity, speak exact truth to one another. And he adds a reason for it. What is the reason we are to speak truth? Not just because it's an attack and assault against the character of God, but he says very clearly, for we are members one of another. As people, okay, it's humanity. Okay, we are one people. Now, this is not saying all people are believers. But folks, you should be treating even the unconverted, peop unconverted people in this world with respect and with dignity. It is nothing in Christianity to just be nice to all the Christian people. We've got a problem with that anyway. If you can't even have Christians get along. But we're supposed to be respectful and loving even towards people who don't think and act the same way that we do. We're told to love our enemies. And Christians have decided we're going to make our own way of truth and we're going to become the church militant again. Or we're going to militant against everybody who's contrary to us. 
Well, what's the truth of God's Word say? The truth of God's Word says we are supposed to love one another. Now, he does make a specific reference here that our neighbor, of course, includes everyone, but it also includes those as we are related to one another. We're members, a civil society. In the church, we belong to one body. In that religious sense, we are members of the the body of Christ, the church. Christ, who is truth itself, He's the head. Therefore, we should never do anything to attempt to deceive one another by a lie. Those in close and near relation should think nothing about lying to one another. I've, 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 been on the, I've been on the receiving end of that, and I hope I'm never on the giving side of that, where my intent is to destroy somebody with a lie. Paul says, because we are members of one another, lying undermines the entire fabric of everything that we are. It's especially dangerous in a church, but it's dangerous in a society. Falsehood, falsehood lies is what's dissolving. The sin of lying is dissolving the very fabric of human society. It's not a political view that's destroying society. I know that's what we think it is. We think that that's part of it, but the reality is it's the lies and deceptions that actually destroys a society. Paul had in mind, of course, with that lying, there certainly shouldn't lie in the realm of how we view Christ and how we preach Christ. But there's also this application that there's absolutely no sin that seems to be more unbecoming of a Christian, more inconsistent with grace, than to act like the devil would and injure a society by lying. Honestly, it's one of the first things, I I don't know how it is when you raise your kids, one of the first things you try to teach your kids, don't lie. Be honest. A lie erodes confidence in each other. You know, it only takes one lie to erode the confidence in another person. One lie to a spouse, I'm telling you right now, one lie to a spouse will have consequences for the rest of your life. It always does. Even if there's forgiveness and granted, there's always that little bit of, but you didn't tell me the truth. Paul says we should reject, we should denounce and put away lying. Any exaggeration, any effort to deceive in order to twist the truth ought to be put away. How do we speak truth? Speak it kindly, speak it in love. Why? Because we're the same body. Next week, we'll try to deal with anger. Be ye angry and sin not. The good thing is none of us have a problem with anger either, so we'll be in good company. Put away lying. Don't sin when you're angry. These are all truths that actually apply what we really believe about who God is. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer this morning. I thank you for being here today. If I can be a help to you, please don't hesitate to ask me. I'll be glad to help. Let's pray. Father, we have dealt with a subject today that is difficult to 
put into words. It's difficult to explain on many accounts. But Lord, your word states it, and we as followers and believers of you are to accept it and apply it. Lord, help us to live a life that is truthful, a life that desires honesty, especially with regard to the truth of the gospel, with the truth of who Christ is. May our view of this world and our view of life be shaped by what the word of God says, not by what the world tells us to. Lord, we're living in a day when access to all sorts of stories and all sorts of opinions are sadly driving many Christians to forsake the truth. Lord, if we have been in lies, if we have been found in falsehood, I pray that the Spirit would convict us of that. We would be brought to repentance. Lord, that we would desire to only speak and live out the truth. Lord, thank you for the forgiveness of the the lies in which we have been guilty of telling and living. Lord, we know that there is mercy and grace to be found with you. Lord, I do pray you'd help us to apply the truths we've heard today. Father, we leave here now rejoicing, rejoicing that we have been together with God's people and we've been under the teaching of your word. May it not easily leave us and may we meditate on these truths. We thank you, we praise you for all these things and it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, thank you so much. We'll look forward to seeing you Wednesday. We'll continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount as we work through the book of Matthew. Thank you.